Hey, Shelvies. Buckle up for a new episode of the Shelved Books Podcast, where every writer has a story that may never see the light of day. This is the podcast where authors share the stories that they shelved, the manuscripts that they may never publish. Then they explore the reason why they shelved this story. Welcome to the Shelved Books Podcast. Shelvies, welcome back to a new episode of the Shell Books Podcast. We are your hosts, Kate Evangelista. And Christy Berman. And as you can see, Angie cannot join us today. Poor thing has a stomach bug, and we are hoping for her fast recovery. Um, sending good vibes over to Angie, because if you've ever had a stomach bug, you know it's not uh, it's not fun. So, um, but Besides that, this week we are so excited for the guests that we have on because if you, um, by now you have listened to our Wendy Hurd podcast and she has recommended him to us and we are so happy that he said yes to being with us today. Um, he is a critically acclaimed science fiction author who lives in San Francisco and his debut novel Here and Now and Then was a finalist for the Goodreads Cho uh, Goodreads Choice Awards and uh, the Golden Poppy and the Campton Crook Awards. He contributed to the Star Wars from a Certain Point of View anthology. Before publishing his book, he worked as a sports journalist covering the NHL, which I, you know, I pretty much think Christy snuck in there just so that because hockey fan, go Oilers. Um, uh, he was also a DJ, a musician, and an aerospace engineer. Now the sci-fi makes sense. That is his actual diploma. Please welcome to the podcast, Mike Chen, everybody. Yay! Hello, everyone. Christine, <laughs> what what team is your team? Canadians. Oh, wait, are you both Canadian? Uh, well, I'm originally. Okay. <laughs> Christine's originally Canadian. I'm I'm uh, new to Canada. I'm a transplant, so okay. I'm I have yet to really watch the, my knowledge of hockey. Uh, as I say, uh, revolves around the Mighty Ducks movies one, two, three, and four. <laughs> that is that is my knowledge of hockey. So that's totally fair. <laughs> yeah. And um, but in the town I'm living in right now, they're huge Oilers fan, and uh, okay, the so they're Oilers busy are, right now. Yes, they're doing well. Apparently, the Oilers are doing well. Apparently, they're doing well. Apparently, they're doing well. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> But, but I see flags everywhere and I see jerseys everywhere. So I feel like everybody's having fun. So I'm just, I'm just saying, yay, Oilers, without knowing exactly what that is. Okay, That's a good so, go. Yes. Uh, it does help when you want tips when you're selling booze. So that's, <laughs> it's like, yay, yay, Oilers won today, didn't they? <laughs> or like, boo, they lost. Oh, <laughs> just kind of. Everything that I'm, I really need to watch a game. I really do because everybody's like this whole town is like for Oilers fans. Um, so Mike, if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself beyond the bio that we uh, just introduced everybody sure. to. Um, so um, well, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. All of my books are set there, except for my Star Wars book. <laughs> that one is set in space. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I've written uh, five novels for HarperCollins that are standalone. Uh, we mentioned here and now and then. Um, a, a beginning at the end is one of them that I'm going to talk about today because it was based on a shelved manuscript, which was really difficult to do, but a, a really gratifying process. Um, I have a superhero no novel called We Could Be Heroes. I have an X-Files-inspired novel called Light Years From Home. And then my recent novel, Vampire Weekend, came out this past January. Um, my Star Wars novel called uh, Brotherhood is about Anakin and Obi-Wan, and it hit the New York Times bestseller list. And I write comics for Star Trek, too. So um, all well-rounded. Mike, you are you are so busy. We <laughs> yeah. can't see that. Um, you are... But, so before we get into your Shell Books project, I want to sure. ask, how do you balance all of those projects that you are working on now because um you know for for those writers who think well i can only write one thing at a time how are you mm. balancing like so um one thing i always start with is that because i live in the bay area um i'm going to have a day job because it's very expensive to live here 
Um, and we're, I'm in America where we have, where health insurance is tied to your corporate life. Um, so that's necessary too. Um, so I have a day job, um, writing, but still day job. Um, and, uh, what I do, I'm, I'm an extreme outliner. I find that helps quite a bit. Um, I do that. I, I learned actually what we, you mentioned Wendy Hurd. Um, Wendy and our other friend Diana Urban, what we do is when we are all on deadline together, we will go on sprints together. So sprinting for like 15 minutes or so. And so we will message each other and say, like, uh, I'm gonna sprint for 20 minutes. Are you guys in? And sometimes we'll join in, but we keep each other accountable for that. So I've learned to write in like 15 to 20 minute bursts. I um when I outline. Like it, I will even outline a chapter or I'll bullet point a chapter. And so what I'll do if I don't have the mental space um, to to sit down and write prose, I'll kind of visualize it in my head like a movie. Um, and then I'll just bullet point like what's happening, who's saying what, like which way are they turning? How are they reacting? Things like that. And that way, when I sit when I go back to it, it feels like it's just kind of like window dressing. I'm just painting over it. But the, the bones of it are already there. So I have all these tricks to to try to help me like expedite the process because I also have a young daughter who's eight who demands a lot of my time, <laughs> um, so uh, it, it's 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 all a balance and I I found that one thing that has happened since I've started getting published is that I just have um, I just play a lot less video games <laughs> like that used to be where my <laughs> evening time went and now instead I I write in the evening. That happens with kids too. You tend to put down the controller. <laughs> yeah. Now my daughter's at the age where she's starting to play, so I, I'm able to introduce her to that, and um, and we're able to enjoy some stuff together. So that's cool. That's great. So what that's are great. you what are you enjoying together? Just for what our listeners and our viewers. Um. So on. So she's playing a lot of Pokemon and Minecraft, which I, I'm not really into, but my wife has gotten into with her. Um. And then on the Nintendo Switch, they have these emulators of like the old systems. So we will play like regular Nintendo and Sega Genesis games together. No. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Nice. I mean, yeah, it's like it's so good to have that, you know, connection and that that bonding time with because you know, there's there's nothing wrong with playing video games because it really does um, you know, exercise the mind. There are a lot of puzzles to be solved, the storytelling, the... It's not easy to play a video game, by the way. It's like, for people who haven't played it, yeah, it's like... To be honest, like, Minecraft is amazing for kids, yes. too. It's so creative. It's, it's very STEM-based, too. So, yeah. like, I'm very much, like, I would rather have her play Minecraft than just watch TV, because mm -hmm. at yeah. least she's creating with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and very interactive, but... Like speaking of creating, so what is the shelf book project that you will be sharing with us? So there's two of them. Um, the first is the first manuscript I ever tried to write. Um, so in my 20s, so I, I grew up um, in my teens, like I really leaned into like, uh, so I grew up very, I guess, almost stereotypical, like Asian child of immigrants. Like I played classical piano. I was a very good student. I was very quiet. And I, I, I internally wanted more, and I had no idea how to express that until I discovered like punk rock, um, and I I started playing guitar and listening to bands like Susie and the Banshees and the Replacements and things like that, um, and so uh, when I uh, graduated college, I started playing in bands around the San Francisco Bay Area, and I DJed too. And uh, my parents had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, but so I wrote a manuscript, a very poor manuscript called Local Band. And, and it was about, um, you know, musicians in a local scene and how they kind of balance their, their life. And the, the, the problem with this, I look back on it now and I reread some of it like maybe five or six years ago. And one of the things that I've always felt is that dialogue is one of my strengths. Like I, I can, I, I write it very, very naturally. Um, and, and even my, my creative writing teacher in college. So I, I have an engineering degree, um, but I took a creative writing class senior year of college. 
and my my teacher had encouraged me to write more and, and she actually works in publishing now and, and we're still in touch so i i get to send her my arcs whenever they come out nice. um but uh, she she noted that like there are some things that I naturally picked up in dialogue was one of them. So I go I went back and I looked at this manuscript, and I thought, oh, the dialogue is is really really witty. These exchanges are great. These characters are great. There is nothing happening in this book, <laughs> <laughs> and that is one of the things that I I learned across my my journey of querying my initial manuscripts. Um, one of the feedback issues from agents was um that i needed to work on structure and so i really really worked on structure i i got books on structure one of the most important books that i i learned um was called save the cat which is um you know the the beat sheet one and now i feel like structure is one of my strengths like Mm -hmm. i i can like deconstruct anything and look at like how do you raise the stakes and make sure that there's like really good tension in it but that was one of the things I struggled with early on. And I see that in this very early manuscript, um, it's just characters saying funny things to each other. <laughs> and, and that that does not make for a story. Yes. Now, how many years ago before you got published was this? This was about 2008, 2008, 2009-ish okay. or so. Um, and it, it's really cool that like my my critique partner at the time so um, I think around 2006 is when I started to write fiction again, because I, I did journalism for, for a few years, and, and then like they overlapped for a bit, and then I dropped journalism to focus on fiction full-time. But my critique partner, uh, I, I went through several until I found one that I really felt comfortable with, and then um, she got an agent shortly after me. Um, you know, she went through a different publishing cycle than I did but she, her debut came out last year her second book's coming out this year so it was one of those nice things where all of the people that like we were writing with at the time um if some of them just said like I, I don't want to write anymore and that's fine you know but the ones that really stuck with it they all made it, it nice. it's one, writing is one of those things where as long as you continuously improve your craft and you keep just plugging away, like literally you will make it. I agree with you. Now, now if you were writing this book and did you query it? Did you? I did, yes, actually I was going through. So so this was 2008-ish or so. So the industry had not quite turned to email queries yet. So um, what you could do- Mailing what you could do you could email the query but then they would request the manuscript in print i got two manuscript requests from it i remember um one of them was a partial and one of them was a full and i printed out the full manuscript at work um like i went back to work you know in the evening when no one was there and i printed it out and i shipped it off um and then i i got a rejection postcard from the agency um (laughs) And I, I I saved it because it's just one of those like keepsakes from, yeah. from a different time. Um, but did pieces of that book. So I mentioned my my vampire novel, Vampire Weekend. So Vampire Weekend is about um a, a vampire who is a musician and plays in punk bands in the Bay Area. And um, I mean, there's a whole other story about like being a child of immigrants and dealing with that over the decades. But the music part of it, I took a lot of her, um, I guess, quirks about how she approaches, like, like she names all of her guitars, and she has, like, a room especially for just her music and things like that. I lifted a lot of that from this local band manuscript, because they they were character details that I really, really liked, and I thought they were fun. And so I just kind of grafted them onto... Um, Louise, who is the, my main character of Vampire Weekend. So oh, you just made Kate and I very happy with your oh, hoarding yeah. and your, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, because, you know, we we hoard words as well. It's like there are manuscripts that just we cannot delete. Um, even even scenes that we deleted from a manuscript are saved somewhere else. I, you know, so I did that with, with Vampire Weekend. Um, there are two moments in there where 
it's very, very close to something in, in local band because um, in, in local band, the, there's like a moment about like playing music and what that feels like. And then there's also a moment about like going to a show and like the emotions that that generates. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted to convey that in my vampire book. Um, and so like the, you know, the prose is a little bit different. The setup is a little bit different, but a lot of the beats within those moments are pretty close to that original manuscript. And it was just one of those things where um, I always knew in the back of my head, a lot of those details still lurked around and it just really felt like this could find a home somewhere. And and so, you know, I, I always tell uh, writers that like anything can be repurposed. It can be redressed in some way as long as the vibe feels the same i agree totally at the time when because when you wrote this book you were you said that you were um playing in a ba playing in bands uh you were mm -hmm. a dj what initially um you know uh pushed you to write a novel um that inspired you to hey i'm gonna sit down and write so um Part of it was that creative writing class that I took in college. So I, I graduated college in 2000. Um, I so I pivoted to to journalism after I graduated college, and it was really because sports journalism was, online was really kind of in its infancy then. And and so if you had your own blog and you wrote well, like the community found it, and then eventually like the bigger platforms hired the people who were blogging to to fill out their websites yeah. um and so i did that for a while and i just got to a point where i felt this itch to to try to go back to fiction um and, and a big part of it um the book the book that always made me think like i would really really like to try this was high fidelity by nick hornby oh. um so I grew up and I am a science fiction person, but in storytelling, I'm very much a character person too. So that's why my, my books are kind of like this meld of both. Um, like I don't like reading epic fantasy, like Lord of the Rings never really did it for me. Um, but I, I love reading Star Wars books because they're very, they, they're usually very character focused. Some of them deviate from that, but um, so I wanted to try to write um, like Nick Hornby. Um, so High Fidelity is the one that made me think like, I would like to try this. And then About a Boy is the one that like I still kind of hold as my standard. Like if, if I'm struggling with something, I will go back to About a Boy and see how Nick Hornby did it in that. With Local Band, it, part of it was write what you know, uh, you know, and I, I knew that really well. Um, and the other part of it was um, I did not, I did not want to write epic science fiction or or hard science fiction, and at the time, it didn't really feel like there was a market for anything else, and, and that has really turned in the past like five to ten years. Yeah. Um, I, I I would say like the two really landmark books that that like kind of kicked that is like the Time Traveler's Wife oh, and yes. Station Eleven. Like yeah. those are the books that really made publishing be like, we can have these genre stories and they can be like literary fiction. Like technically I'm classified as, as literary fiction because it sells more books that way. <laughs> but I, I consider myself a science fiction writer. Um, so I, that's where local band came from. It was write what you know, but then write what, what I thought agents would would pick up because I didn't think that you know I I didn't think if I wrote a, a family or character story in a science fiction setting I thought there's there's no way that that's gonna go anywhere um so I did a, a, a book about bands um that does lead into my second shelved manuscripts though um so I I had started and stopped a few other stories that did not get to full manuscript stage and I was telling my critique partner, I'm going to plug her. Her name is Sierra Godfrey. Um, her first book, A Very Typical Family, came out last year. And her second book is called The Second Chance Hotel, which comes out in September. She's Thank a really you. great writer. And, and, and her, 
her dialogue is so strong that uh, I consider that one of my strengths, but hers is better. Um, <laughs> so I was talking with Sierra about like, I'm, I I felt like I I was not really enjoying what I was doing. And I said, like, I really just want to take the same story and just like, put it on a spaceship. Um, and then she goes, well, why don't you do that? And I said, like, well, no agent will ever touch it because, you know, agents, if, if you're going to put something on a spaceship, it's got to be like a, an epic war. And she said, why don't you try it? At the very least, you will have fun doing it and you'll become a better writer. And so I was... Um, she sounds I, like a very wise critique partner. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the is. kind of it's critique really... partner we want. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, she's she's. It's very important to have a good critique partner who will be honest with you like that. <laughs> um, so what I was doing, like at the time, um, I was looking for ideas, and um, I was watching like this was at the peak of like The Walking Dead being out and like the whole like kind of apocalyptic yeah. thing. And there was a very specific scene in the second season of that show where like the the group is on, like they're hiding away on this farm yeah. and the mom is like teaching the, the young son, like she's doing math with him. And, and I remember at the time, the fandom was like, they were mocking that scene because they're like, oh, it sucks in the zombie apocalypse. You still have to do your math homework. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, this is a really realistic thing. And like, mm -hmm. even now, like, I, you know, my daughter's eight and I feel this so much stronger now. Like in a situation like that, you're going to try to clean on to normal yes. as much as possible. And so I started to think like, I had this idea. I'm like, well, what if you had a, a situation like that where society did collapse, but then it restored and stabilized like mm -hmm. and then everyone has to deal with like all this trauma underneath how would you deal with that and i i i came up with like a few different scenarios in my head and then i went back to nick hornby and i said like what if it's like about a boy in the apocalypse and then and so what i did was um the character of will in about a boy which is in the movie version that's the hugh grant character the movie version of about a boy is even though it, it's slightly different, it's still one of like the pitch perfect adaptations mm. of a book. It is, it totally captures the heart of that book. Um, so I, instead of Will, I um, I made it, Krista, who was just as cynical. Um, and then I thought like, what will be the most useless job in the apocalypse or like in a post-apocalyptic world? Yeah. What is the ultimate first world problem job? And I came up with wedding planner and I had just gotten married like two years prior. And I remember thinking like, like, this is the dumbest job in the world. Like you need to have money to hire a wedding planner. You know, it's like, they are great organizers. They're great, you know, collaborators and stuff. But like, it's like, this job does not need to exist except in a very like high functioning capitalist society. So how would that work in, in the apocalypse? And so that was just the pitch was a wedding planner in the apocalypse. Think of about a boy. Um, and so I wrote this manuscript um, and I remember Sierra really, really liked it. Um, the dialogue was good. The characters were, were strong. It still lacked structure. So it was called the pause. And the idea was that like, what if the world doesn't end? It just paused, which is, you know, kind of ironic because of what has happened in yeah. the past. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, so um, I I actually got a really good response rate from agents with it. Um, when I talk with writers now about querying, I say like, you know, your query is working if you're getting about a 10% response rate from agents. Um, if they, at, at that point, if they don't like your manuscript, then there's a problem with the manuscript, but it's not the query because it's getting into the hands of enough agents. Yes. And so this was um, this was getting into the hands of agents. I had a few revise and resubmit requests. And but the problem always was like there there is no structure. Like I see the plot that you're doing, but like it's all dialogue and there's no tension pushing it forward. Yeah. So I shelved it. And then um, 
uh, with my next manuscript here and now and then, like that's the one where I got my agent and we sold it. Um, I was on sub with that book for a really long time. Um, for 20 months, it, it took to sell. Um, it, it went to the acquisitions process five times. So like every three months, we'd go to acquisitions and then like the science fiction imprint would say, this is too literary for us. And then the literary imprint would say, this is too science fiction for us. And <laughs> it, I wound up with a, a commercial imprint of uh, HarperCollins. Um, but during that time, I was ready to give up on that and move on to the next one. And I was talking with my agent about that. And I said, like, I have this shelved manuscript that I think you might like the vibe oh. of it. And so I sent it to him. And he said, I love these characters. I love this setup. It's got a structure problem. <laughs> Everybody agrees. <laughs> yeah. So he said that um, he would be happy to try to work on it, but I would have to completely deconstruct it um, yeah. and, and redo it. And so uh, I wrote a very uh, long essay on Medium about this about a year ago because I, I well, essay was Medium was paying me, so that's why I wrote it. But but um. It, I, I thought it was fun revisiting the the journey of that manuscript. I still feel like of all the books that I've written, I feel closest to those characters mm -hmm. because I've been through the most with them. Mm -hmm. But what, what I had to do to bring that to life was, um, so it was a, there were two points of view in it mm -hmm. and it was a linear narrative. And my agent was like, no, we got to break this out into more points of view. I want four of them. Wow. Uh, and he's like, and, and he goes, have you read Station Eleven? And like, I hadn't read it at the time. He's like, read Station Eleven. And he said, it's not because it's a post-apocalyptic book. It's because of the structure. Look mm -hmm. at how it plays with flashbacks, how it jumps around, how it balances the characters. So he's like, I want you to chop up your manuscript and do that. <laughs> really really hard it was yeah. not the hardest thing that I've I've ever done as a writer and I think one of the biggest issues so we we decided on who the additional points of view were going to be pretty yeah. early um I had to shove so this is a like a 95,000 word manuscript oh, oh yeah I, I said like do I expand the word count and he's like no keep the word count you have to keep it 90 to 100,000 words but you're going to have to like make the world building stronger. You're going to have to add about a quarter. So about like 20,000 words of flashbacks. Oh. Um, you're, you're going to have to completely chop out the first act because nothing happens there. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. uh, it was this really, really insane process because, and also because I'm splitting two points of view into four points of view, I had to decide who stayed where yeah and, and like do i rewrite this chapter from this point of view and then for the for the points of view i also have to decide like what their backstories are and they had to have plots too like they couldn't just be you know supporting characters anymore um so it was i think this sounds almost harder than just starting a new book it is <laughs> because the, the other thing is um i mean some other people may be less attached to their material than I was but like I remember rereading it at the time and thinking like uh this is great <laughs> what's wrong with this <laughs> you know because I'm, I'm so close to, anything. <laughs> to the material and so to in order to kind of like deprogram myself to to recognize what the problem was um and, and then be willing to just slash and burn it all down I think of the final manuscript, maybe about like 20 to 30% of the prose from the original has been preserved in it. And, and what has been preserved is mostly the dialogue. Like when, if I revisit it, I, I will remember like, this is a line from 2009 or something like that. Yeah. But so much of it is just completely like, it's like if you had a house that had termites and water damage and all this other stuff and you can like strip it all down to like the bare bones but you have to replace literally everything in it that's that's basically what that was so mm -hmm. it, it is it is a good story to share 
with writers though i think these both are about how like projects are never really dead and like one mm -hmm. of them i mined for you know a future project and one of them i turned into a future project but i had yeah. to be willing to just burn it all down first kudos to you by the way because that is that sounds like a heavy amount of work i will never I do it again <laughs> <laughs> It was really hard. No, by the time you you re redid that four point of view story, you already had your background in structure. Like you'd already studied the Save the yeah. Cat. Okay, because so, yeah. I can't even imagine that if you had. A lot. Yeah, because no. if you had to do that on top of everything else that you were doing, I, you know, I just your mind would blow up. I'm sure, but like that's crazy. Yeah, no, no, no. I I I feel like, um, between so when the original version of that was drafted about like 2010 2011 between that and the revisions i did to the manuscript that became here and now and then mm -hmm. um that's really where i learned structure and, and a big kudos is to sierra for like really pushing me on structure and constantly telling me like nothing is happening in your first act you have to cut out like half of this and then like all the character moments that you're having you have to shove them into you know stuff where things actually happen. And, and so now, because I was so critical to myself about, you know, asking myself, like, what is the conflict here? Like, are they people just standing around talking or is something actually happening? Like, I, I feel like I'm able to identify that much quicker now. And so now that I'm writing on proposal, rather than writing with like, you know, submitting a full manuscript, um, I have to write much faster. And so when I'm plotting out scenes, I can usually pick up when I just get a feel now when like people are just talking and I'm like, okay, this has, something has to change here. Either like change where they are physically. So some, there's some sort of external force attacking them or, you know, introduce like a new conflict that is giving one of them anxiety and pushing them through this dialogue because otherwise it's just two people talking. Mm -hmm. Very true. Now, your first one, um, your your very, very first one, where you got the two rejections and you kept the postcards, yes. um, what what pushed you to keep on writing? Because at that point, you're like, okay, I'm not getting a lot. I got two requests and I got rejected. So what put you back in the chair typing again? It's funny because I, I remember thinking at the time that like I will not have any other ideas ever oh. other than you know the story about bands in san francisco um and i think i just i think it was probably just talking with sierra about like we we're just we always like shared ideas with each other and then we just encourage each other to experiment with them and i think that's just basically it it was cool. like getting i think getting from first manuscript ever to second third fourth that's probably the hardest because when you write that first one, you put so much of yourself yeah. into it. And then it's probably really difficult to feel like um, I will ever have that creative spark uh -huh. again. And then after you break past that, then you kind of start to realize, you know, the patterns of, of how creative creativity works for you. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So I love hearing those stories. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely because there are many you know, instances where it's very easy to say, hey, I tried it, that's it, right? Yeah, and, and I know people who did that, like where, the, you know, they said like, I tried it, I'm going to go back to short stories or I'm going to go back to journalism or whatever. Um, for me, I, I just I just wanted to keep pushing through. Mm -hmm. And it's true because, and, and we're so glad that you pushed through because now we have Vampire Weekend that we can <laughs> definitely start devouring. Um, so what are the lessons that you learned from those initial shelf books projects that you then moved or besides structure, besides learning that you need to um, have structure in your stories? What did you take away from the experience of having to shelf those projects? I think letting go is a really big lesson. <laughs> um, yeah. no, knowing when to say like, this is not working. Um, <laughs> So letting go as a whole, but then, I mean, it, it's kind of cliche, like the writer cliche of kill your darlings. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really, really true. And I, I think like a big part of having a good critique partner. So Sierra and I, 
we called it, uh, we were brutally diplomatic with each other. And what we mean by that is we will approach each other with brutal honesty because we want each other to get better but we will do it very diplomatically because we are friends and we want yeah. to stay friends. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people, when they have critique partners, they um, they don't want to hurt each other's feelings. Agreed, so yeah. They may not necessarily say like, your structure is not working. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we just got over that. Like we had an agreement where we're like, we are telling you, these harsh things because we want each other to get better um and like now now like we, we're you know we're, bo we're both in the publishing cycle so we don't really have time to do this like we read our we read our books after the fact now oh. um, <laughs> because because we're, we're constantly like you, you when you're on deadline it's just a different pace but we will still bounce ideas off of each other or if we say like you know I'm struggling with like this character's motivation or whatever. Like we'll still talk to each other about it. And it, it's just really important to have someone that you can be honest with. And there's like, um, there's a vulnerability you have to accept to have a critique partner who will do that for you and for you to, to, to understand how to do that in return. Mm -hmm. And I think so the, the one of the, the biggest lessons of those early manuscripts was learning to accept that and, and recognize it and also say like i hear you but i actually think like i want to keep this element of it mm -hmm. and then if you are going to do that then be honest about like how are you going to change it um you know it, the idea that like you should hear every piece of feedback that is given to you you don't have to take it but if you're turning it down you have to understand why and, and so that's a really, really big lesson for like those early stages. You know, you're one of the first uh, writers that we're delving way more into critique partners. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple, like the first thing that I want to tell you is that I think what you and Sierra have is fantastic because I feel like you guys grew up at the same rate as a writer and yeah. the honesty comes from there, right? At the beginning, you can't be as honest, but if you grow, 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 then all of a sudden it's like, hey, this isn't working, do something, you know, like a, there's something to be said about that. but. How did you even find her? Like, I think a lot of yeah. writers and you know, viewers. We were talking years. about this the other day. Um, so we were on the Manuscript Academy podcast together talking about this because we actually, so um, for a while, Sierra's a graphic designer. She's also a technical writer. I'm a technical writer, but I also did some web, web development. And so for a, about six years, I think, we had a web development business together um, where she would design the sites and the branding and then I would build them. And we started to specialize in author websites because we, we knew our target market. And that turned into um, Jessica Sinsheimer, who the agent who runs the Manuscript Academy, she tweeted out in like 2014 or so, like she was just started the manuscript wish list hashtag and yeah. she was curating all of that by hand and updating like a Tumblr with it or something. And she's like, boy, this would be really great if I could get a website to do that. And I, I messaged Sierra at the time, like, you want to volunteer for this? And <laughs> we did. And now Jessica's a friend. And, and like, so we built the manuscript wishlist website. Um, cool. Wow. And, and so like, we found each other through work actually but we were talking about like how to we uh, sierra identified it um way back when 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 i was still a sports journalist and and i was like querying um i pitched a piece to writer's digest i forget what the piece was but she saw it and then she made like a comment on it like you know back when you commented on articles <laughs> and then through that like we connected through each other's like blogs and then we started critiquing and then like you know, sometimes when, when you meet people like that, they just fade away after mm -hmm. a month or so. But then we realized that like, we basically do the same work. And so we started talking about work. We started talking about music. We became really good friends. And then we got, you know, we started a business together. So like, that's that's how we, that's we cool. met each other. Yeah. Very cool. And it was funny because Jessica was saying, she's like, do you guys realize 
the mark that you've left on this industry like not your books but like the manuscript wishlist website that's and huge we were like, and we we're like no we, we, just, we just did this because <laughs> we were nice to you because we like you it's like we that's built huge. it and jessica like i i gave for like the first year or two like i helped jessica upgrade some features on it and like do general maintenance um, and then it became like a self-sustaining thing. And then she hired someone else to to kind of do that. So like, I just kind of forgot about it because I'm like, I, you know, I don't really need it for myself right now. But then like, like when I do see people talking about their MSWLs, I'm like, oh yeah, we built that website. <laughs> like we, yeah, no, we, I can't even imagine how many people access that website every day. Right. Like, I mean, that's crazy. Congratulations. It, it's a lot. I know because I did the analytics for Jessica for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> so like I have these spreadsheets of how many, you know, how many people were coming in, where were they coming from and things like that. Oh yeah, no, definitely. When you're querying, that's like, I mean, that's golden right there. Yeah. And even for people who want to start writing and want to know what the industry is looking for at the time, like, I mean, it's huge. Well, Very cool. Mike, you just blew our minds. Because I know, <laughs> we're in the presence of greatness right here. Because yeah, we use that website a lot. I mean, <laughs> when I was querying my one of one of my novels, I that was a, that website was a god, especially when it started out. It was mm -hmm. such a godsend because it allowed it was so organized. That was our yes. whole goal with it was to to make it organized and easy because Jessica was like doing everything by hand. And like I wow. told her, I said like I can build you a form, like I can build you a form and give you like a, a mechanism so agents and editors have their own profiles, yeah. so they can just log in, fill out this form. And everything populates and she's like no way you can do that I'm like yes you can, you can do that like the, the you like it's very very easy let us do this for you and so we just like we just wanted to be nice and it organized everything in one place whereas before mm -hmm. you had to go to every agent's website and figure out what they um, this fantastic yeah. So if you want the origin story of, of that um, the manuscript academy podcasted two episodes on that um and so sierra and i are on i think the second one excellent we'll definitely go look that up oh, yeah yeah we will and and definitely something that our shelvies i uh, will all honestly be uh interested in you know so mm -hmm. like now when you are writing like when you so do you pitch ideas to your editor to your agent or do you have to write the entire book before you can submit like a new idea um, I, I, I'm at a stage where I can basically do it on proposal. So, um, so my, the last contract, um, was <laughs> for Vampire Weekend and my upcoming one. And the way that came about was I was going to take a break yeah. after. So, um, I had just turned in Light Years from Home, which is my like X-Files inspired family drama. And I was going to take a break because that was like four years in or four books in four years it was it was a lot and, and then i saw some of my science fiction colleagues post that like oh um i'm gonna release a vampire book and so i i texted my agent right away and i said like our vampires back and he said <laughs> yes I, so i like can, can i pitch you a vampire story what's the window for this and he said oh you know probably about like five years or so trends come and go so in two weeks, I had uh, a proposal for him. Um, it was, I think, maybe, I don't know, maybe like a two or three thousand word pitch, mm -hmm. um, and he sent that over to, he sent that over to my editor at uh, Harper Collins, and they bought it. Um, and then I was like, I have to write this now. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, I, and the thing is, like, my process before that. Every one of my original novels, like Star Wars is different because you, you have to do a whole outlining process for that. Um, but for all of my original novels, I had always written at least the first act. And that was the thing that I did for myself because I didn't want to start my deadlines not knowing who the characters were or or who what the world building was. And so with Vampire Weekend, it was like completely started from scratch and that was terrifying and i don't think i'm ever going to do that again 
Um, I think um, so. We just announced my my sixth book, but that it's finished. I just finished it um, final revisions about uh, a month ago, and it's called A Quantum Love Story. Ooh. That's going to be a time loop book, uh, a time loop relationship book that comes out in January. Um, and that one, that was based on, it was a pitch that, um, so an IP asked me to write a pitch that didn't get bought. Um, and then um, a graphic novel publisher asked for a pitch um, that didn't get bought. Um, but I, I had turn, turned the IP one into a graphic novel one. And then I was like, so it was a pretty extensive outline and the characters were fairly well formed. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was talking with my agent. I was like, I like these characters and I like the basic points of this story. Do you think like it can work as a novel? And and he went with it. And so like I kind of shifted it around a little bit so that like the basic structure was the same, but like it, it really leaned into the relationship aspect of it. Um, and so that one didn't have to, I didn't have to start from scratch either. Like I had a very firm idea of who these characters were. Um, so I think like I, I'm out of contract now with Harper Collins, and I'm like I, I have a few different things brewing. Um, but I think when I go back to like my next original adult, uh, you know, sci-fi novel, I'm going to write at least the first act again because writing without knowing where you're going is just terrifying <laughs> Hard, yeah. yeah i agree with you and by the first act you you kind of know who your characters are exactly so, yeah. yeah the voice is so important the voice now, and the motivation i'm also a save the cat outliner i love outlining i don't know how sorry kate i don't know how planters do it or yeah <laughs> one of my friends she 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 does that where she like starts at you know word one and then she will get to like word 200,000 and then she'll be like, no, I have to cut like 75,000 words. I'm like, Why don't you just outline? Come on, I have saved the cat. Come on. You have saved yeah. the cat, but you are, you are pants or plants or right? Well, yeah. <laughs> so no, definitely. But do you find, cause I find I do this too. Like I'll write to maybe like three quarters of the story and then review all of my beats again, just to make, Sure, or are you like, uh, no, this is exactly how it's going to go from No, I'm, I'm pretty flexible. I actually, um, so I will write one act at a time. So I'll take that first act and I'll really, really polish it. Mm -hmm. So um, because I, I write kind of a skeletal draft at first. And if I did a skeleton draft of the whole book, then that would be a lot to revise and there would be a lot of changes in there. Yeah. So if I limit that to just act one, then you know, the the true voices and motivations of the character, like they come to the surface. Right. And then when I get to act two, it's easier to write. Like I already know who these characters are and know who, how they're going to react. And the goal is by the time I start act three, it should just feel like um, like kind of a, a downhill momentum. Like everything makes sense. Now I just have to fill out the words. Right. Um, so uh, the hardest part is act one, like getting it off the ground. Very cool. That's fantastic. I've never, I've never heard of it done that way because sometimes, yeah. like with me, I would write it from beginning to end and then mm. edit. So uh, putting it that way, where you polish Act One and really get to know everything, the characters, the world, the motivations. Correct. That's actually quite interesting, and I want to try that out because mm -hmm. you know it. It, it, it was I, I discovered it by accident because with um with my third book the superhero one we could be heroes like i sold that on proposal and i had the first act i had to put it in the first act as um you know to sell it on proposal and for i found that actually writing it after i had polished that first act and submitted it for proposal i'm like wow i already know these characters this is way easier than you know starting from scratch so it, it was kind of like this accidental discovery and I just kept with it. Um, I will say that this totally saved me when I wrote um, for my fourth book, Light Years From Home. Um, I wrote a first act um, and I sent it to um, another friend who's really, really good at structure um, because I had three different points of view and I was trying to do that thing where you have the flashback kind of running in parallel and then it like syncs up at you know act yeah. three 
I was trying to do that because one of my friends just pulled that off and it was really wonderful. And I sent it to my friend who's really good at structure. And she's like, this isn't working. You should just like do traditional flashbacks because like you're trying to run, you're, you're trying to run like the secondary plot line and like nothing is happening. <laughs> uh, she's like, just take the best parts of that and make them flashbacks. Um, and so if I had written the whole manuscript for that, I would have had to destroy a hundred thousand words. Oh, yeah. But because of that, I was able to just reconstruct from act one. And that, nice. that totally saved me. I like it. I like it. It's a, it's a great strategy yeah. and it actually saves you time. I, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I get always, I'm always so excited at the beginning of the book that I, you know, like fly through because yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the idea is fresh and you're so excited and everything. And then you get to, at the end of act one, you just, I just keep going to act two and then you get stuck in the sticky middle, you know, yes, but if you yeah, really yeah. knew your characters from act one, like I can see how that would totally change everything. So, and yeah. I think too, like if you were, if you, if you take a few weeks to like really polish act one, Mm -hmm. then you feel refreshed by the time you mm -hmm. get to act two like you're excited because you're like oh i know these characters so well i i know where they're going next instead of just kind of like running to exhaustion you know yes. it's i i found like every time i tell someone about this they're like this sounds great i'm like it's i think it's really effective no i totally agree i think this is and this is what i love about this podcast is that we are learning like i mean we've even convinced Kate uh, and Angie to like plot, you know, like, I mean, every, it's, it's so cool to hear how everybody works. And like Kate usually says, we have a million different ways of writing. There's, there's just so many ways of writing and we're lucky because we get to hear all of this and we get to pick and choose and make our own little, you know, like this is definitely something I'm going to try, you know, like it's, I love it. Love it. Love it. It's wonderful because it does, it does save you time. It does save you that anxiety of having to break down an entire novel and then mm -hmm. yes. find what works and but if you really concentrate on the first act each act at least you're able to really know what you are writing who you are writing what they are doing what what's going to happen next that you're right once you get to the third act it makes it much easier to push yeah. through it's to the just end. about resolution at that point yeah. yes no, I like it. I like it. I really do. Very oh my nice. gosh. Mike, you have blown our minds because <laughs> because it's 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 actually a con it that advice is actually contrary to popular belief, which is push through and finish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um and what you are actually sharing with us is like take it piece by piece mm -hmm. and really, you know, hone and perfect what you need. Yeah, because the problem is if you have to fix something and you've written the whole thing, then you have to fix everything. And that's a much harder thing to do. And that's probably like the first, the, after your first draft is completed, that's probably the first thing you do is you go back and you say like, okay, my character wouldn't do this or she wouldn't say this or she, because you right. don't know them well enough. So what you're saying saves you the first edits, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. It saves <laughs> you so much grief. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, for someone who writes like from beginning to end ha hearing that is actually blowing my mind because i that's not how i do things but i also <laughs> want to but i want to try it because yeah. it does save me grief it does save me a lot of time and mm -hmm. i don't know why i have never thought of it that way and i would even think that for a panther or a planter that's even more important because you guys are writing like just off the cuff Yes. So exactly. we have the outline at least to give us an idea, but like for, you know, like now you're going back and you're saying, okay, is this really what, like, this is what my character, Mike, you just saved a, yeah. a whole bunch of I people sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody's like, oh, that's right. I not think of it that way. And so really Mike, thank you. That getting to the, this is why we love this podcast is yeah. we never know where it's going to take us one. Mm -hmm. And two, the advice that just comes is just, it blows our mind each and every week. We have not, I kid you not, we have not encountered an episode yet where the advice is the same. Yep, I agree. Or the method is the same. And yep. we are already like pushing 60 episodes at this point. So it's like, uh, it, it's, it's just so fantastic. And that's it why is. <laughs> because we get to hear points of views from other authors connected to a project that 
either they're never gonna it's never gonna see the light of day or mm-hmm. yes it's been repurposed and became something else or that it eventually got published so yeah. because i because we the initial impetus of this podcast was that there's that one thing in publishing that hardly anybody talks about is those projects that have been set aside and everybody has one or, yeah. or two or three or whatever however many and thank you so much for sharing those two with us. And that mm-hmm. even if they have been shelved, that they have been repurposed. Yeah, they have, live on. Yeah, they live mm-hmm. on. There's you know? plenty to mine from. No, no word left behind. That's yes. right. A motto that we have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Mike, we, I'm going to now shift to Christy, who's going to have our 10 speed round questions for us. Christy, okay, take cool. it away. So really simple questions, one word answers, paragraphs, whatever you feel like answering is fine. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. First one is, if you didn't have to sleep, but everyone else did, what would you do with the extra time? Wait, if I did not have to sleep? You don't have to sleep, but everybody else does. So what are you doing? I I would just play video games for six hours. No, I mean, just like, like I would learn a new language or no. No, like all the video games that I have not been able to play, like I, I would play video games and read and watch TV. That sounds cool. What kind of music is on your Spotify playlist right now? Um, everything in the Vampire Weekend playlist. Nice. <laughs> so, um, so on on my Twitter, well, actually, it's not pinned anymore, but um, I had put together a playlist from the book Vampire Weekend. Um, it's it's a mix of like modern indie like um, always and Lady Tron um, some more like early 2000s stuff like uh, yeah yeah yes there's David Bowie in there um, Iggy Pop Lou Reed um, there's like 70s 80s post punk there's Joy Division Blondie so it's like this whole range and, and all these songs factor into louise's journey but also i wanted to write about these songs because they mean a lot to me i love that very alternative kind of music i like it yes if you could talk to one animal species which one would you pick um i i would talk to dogs because i love dogs and dogs are the best (laughs) and i already talk like like our our uh most recent dog passed away about six months ago, and I'm like I'm totally oh. ready to get another dog. But my wife and I have had four dogs together, um, and we always like you know we we talk to them in like goofy voices. Like uh, yeah, you, you two have seen Frozen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so you know how like how uh Sven uh, <laughs> Sven talks like like this. Like, that's how we talk to our our dogs. So it's like it would be great to actually have them talk like that to us instead of us filling in the words for them. Oh, I totally agree. I would I talk that. to my dog too. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the first significant thing you bought with your own money? With my own money? Um, Christine, you will appreciate this. Huh? I bought ice hockey equipment because I yeah. played, played roller <laughs> hockey my entire life growing up in California. I always wanted to play ice. It was just way too expensive. So as soon as I got a a proper, like, you know, post-college job, I signed up for ice hockey lessons to learn to stop on ice and full gear. And and I started playing. Love it. Totally, totally love it. Now, which is your team? Which one do you follow? I am an unfortunate San Jose Sharks fan because I live in the Bay Area. It was really great for about 20 years. And then it's been terrible for the last few years but i i will say that watching the playoffs with no rooting interests other than hating a few it's players fun. it's yeah it's so little stress it's great yes. i'm like i'm like just watching it i'm like this hockey is awesome it's like you know, the action's great and i'm not like freaking out at every time the puck you know touches the, the someone's stick so i totally agree with that I totally agree with you because I live in New Jersey, so I go to oh. see some Devils games, but I'm not as attached to the Devils as the Canadian, but mm. you see some great hockey and you just appreciate the hockey. It's, it's Yes. So good for you. I totally 100% approve of that. Would you rather bungee jump, skydive, or climb Everest? Um, I think there's like probably bungee jump because there's like the least chance of death. <laughs> <laughs> No, I you know I, I I love hiking, 
um i love hiking in in the wilderness so i i, I if i could be guaranteed safety i would probably be everest I agree. It's kind of cool. Actually, I don't think I would do any of them, but anyway. Um, do, do you ask for permission or forgiveness? Uh, I try to be really, really cognizant of asking for permission. Um, and I like try to be cognizant about asking for forgiveness. I probably don't do it enough. <laughs> so a mix of both, really. Yeah. If you reach for a snack, is it salty or sweet? Oh, salty. I, I Sweet just doesn't do it for me. Except for chocolate chip cookies. That's the only thing that really, really <laughs> gets me. That, that would, like, we'll consider that a dessert so you can stick to your salty. It's all good. So, uh, what topic, other than writing and publishing, could you give a presentation on right now without any pre uh, preparation? Um, well, I wrote a Star Wars book about this time period, so I don't know if that counts. But I wrote um, – my Star Wars book takes place in the prequel era shortly after episode two – and it's because um, like the editors saw that I was always talking about the prequel era of Star Wars on Twitter and they knew <laughs> that I had like knowledge of it. And it's the same reason why I got a gig writing for Star Trek because I was always tweeting about Deep Space Nine. Oh, and I love that like, show. Oh. So I, my, my story, my five issue mini series for Deep Space Nine, um, it, it's, uh, the pitch was Quark gets a Corgi. So there's a corgi oh. on the station oh. and the shenanigans happen. So it's called the I dog of war. <laughs> there are five issues. Issue two just came out. Very cool. I'll definitely look that up because that was a great show. Um, is there an author that influenced you most? Um, I would say, so the two most important authors in my life, Anne Rice, um, mm -hmm. not just because like she, her work meant a lot to me as a teen, um, but also she was the first person that I read where I felt like atmosphere and world were a character um, and, and seeing the way that she played with language to really evoke feeling and atmosphere. I, I hadn't seen that before. And then Nick Hornby were in terms of a character and dialogue. Very cool. Those are great choices. And the last question, which is always the most, you know, intellectual one is, do you consider hot dogs sandwiches? No. <laughs> but you know what, that's, you, thinking about that, because you can order a sausage sandwich, which is essentially a hot dog. So mm -hmm. I would say... And you're I'm putting meat my... in between two pieces of... Yeah, okay, I'm changing my mind. A hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> Thank you so much for answering all of those. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh my gosh, Shelby's another set of 10 questions that we can answer along to. What are your answers to these questions? Do, do you agree with Mike? Do you have the same answer as Mike? Or do you have different answers? Please let us know in the comments down below. We would love to interact with you and know what your answers would be to Christy's speed round questions. And we have actually played around with the idea of like, snipping together the responses of the of the authors and putting it together as like a special um, <laughs> because it's just fascinating and the way Christy rotates these questions is you never know what you will expect so <laughs> thank you so much Mike for answering her questions and um, so now where can they find you on the internet and what are you working on now so um, I am uh, I am mostly on Twitter even as Twitter falls apart. And so whatever <laughs> Twitter's replacement will be, I will be there because I enjoy the format the most. So I'm Mike Chen writer there. I've claimed the handle Mike Chen writer at every Twitter alternative I could find. So um, I do have an Instagram at Mike Chen writer. Um, I, I don't really use it much. I don't know how to use it well. Um, uh, my website is mikechenbooks.com and I need to update that more. <laughs> I yeah. only update it like once a year. I really need to update it more. And and I built it, so it shouldn't be hard, but <laughs> but I have a mental block about that. So what are you working on now? Um, I am working on a secret IP project that has not been announced yet. Um and a secret YA project that is on sub. Um, and I am starting my initial outline for my next adult 
science fiction project. I don't know. I don't know when that's actually going to go out on proposal because I'm kind of juggling a few things right now, and I I want to time it so I don't have to um I don't you know have too many things collide at once. So is this Very is this nice. your first time writing YA, the one that's yeah. on sub? Yeah, I, I I told my agent I will never write YA because he he's been bugging me to do it for a while. And then about six months ago, I read um, I read an article that like gave me an idea. And I said, okay, this is the only YA I will ever <laughs> <laughs> submit. Sure. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are so, so grateful about, you know, everything that you have shared with us. And we will definitely be trying that advice of just mm-hmm. perfecting that first act. Um, before moving on to the next one, because really, again, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who's not thought about how doing it that way, <laughs> that it's possible to do it that way. And um, Shelby's, if you are coming back to us and have subscribed, please make sure to like this episode and you know share it. Uh, the more people who you know, the more people you share it with, the more people who find us. And if you're new here, please subscribe and uh, like that. Uh, hit that notification bell because so that you don't miss a single episode because next week again we have another phenomenal guest on this podcast that you will not want to miss we are also available everywhere you listen to podcasts take us on hikes put us you know play us on the background while you're doing your household chores whatever even while you're in the shower play (laughs) background you never know what ideas you might get from any episode that we put out because we love each and every episode that we put out and that we have learned so much from every episode that we hope you are also learning with us. You know, if you can give us a five-star review, that would also be appreciated. Um, So please remember, tune in again next week for another phenomenal guest. We are your hosts, Kate Evangelista. Christy Berman. And remember, everybody, keep on writing. Bye. Thank you, Mike. That was fantastic. Great episode. And that was another episode of the Shelved Books Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until the next one, stay safe, read more, write more, and continue to be at your creative best. The world is waiting, and so are we.